Section nine of the Day of Sir Wilfrid Laurier. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bruce Peary. The Day of Sir Wilfrid Laurier, a Chronicle of Our Own Time by Oscar D. Skelton. Looking to Washington, Part One. For desperate ills, desperate remedies it is little wonder that policies looking to revolutionary change in political or commercial relations now came to take strong hold on the public mind to many it appeared that the experiment in canadian nationality had failed why not then frankly admit the failure and seek full political incorporation with either of the great centres of the english-speaking people of whose political prestige and commercial success there was no question annexation to the united states imperial federation with a central parliament in the united kingdom each found a small but earnest company of supporters or if the mass of the people shrank from one and held the other an impracticable dream why not seek the closest possible commercial tie with either nation thus commercial union or a zollverein between canada and the united states and imperial preferential trade or a zollverein between canada and the united kingdom and the other parts of the british empire came into discussion what british and american conditions and opinion met these canadian movements and what changes were made in the programs first urged may next be reviewed canadian relations with the united states will be noted first in the decade from eighteen eighty six to eighteen ninety six when the venezuela episode opened a valve for the steam to blow off the relations between canada and the united states were continuously at high tension it was an era of friction and pinpricks of bluster and retaliation the united states was not in a conciliatory mood it was growing in wealth and numbers and power in unprecedented ways its people were one and all intensely proud of their country and satisfied with themselves the muckraker had not yet lifted his voice in the land the millionaire was still an object of pride and emulation exhibit a in the display of american superiority over all creation no foreign danger threatened no foreign responsibility restrained the provincial swagger in short the united states was feeling its oats towards great britain it was specially prone to take an aggressive attitude still fresh was the memory of seventeen seventy six and eighteen twelve fed by text-book rhetoric and thrown into relief by the absence of other foes still rankled the hostility of the official classes of great britain during the civil war and tory attacks upon american manners and american democracy irish americans in millions cherished a natural if sometimes foolishly directed hatred against the country that had misgoverned erin and made it lose half its people the rejection of home rule by the house of commons in eighteen eighty six confirmed by the results of the general elections which followed intensified this feeling canada the nearest british territory had to bear much of this ill-will though she had no share of responsibility for its creation just as she had borne the brunt of invasion in wars which were none of her making there were however other sources of trouble for which canada was more directly responsible 
she had followed the example of the united states in setting up a high tariff wall inevitably the adoption of protection by both countries led to friction the spirit of which it was born and which in turn it nourished the belief that one country found its gain in another's loss made for jealousy and the rankling sense on canada's part that her policy had not succeeded made the feeling the sorer but the immediate occasion of the most serious difficulty was the revival of the northeastern fisheries dispute the century-long conflict as to the privileges of american fishermen in canadian and newfoundland waters under the treaty of seventeen eighty three and the convention of eighteen eighteen had been set at rest during the era of reciprocity eighteen fifty four to sixty six by opening canadian fishing grounds to americans practically in return for free admission of canadian natural products to the united states then once more by the treaty of washington in eighteen seventy one access to the inshore fisheries was bartered for free admission of fish and fish oil plus a money compensation to be determined by a commission the commission met at halifax in eighteen seventy seven sir a t galt representing canada and the award was set at five million five hundred thousand dollars for the twelve years during which the treaty was to last the united states condemned the award with much heat and took occasion to abrogate the clause of the treaty on the earliest date for which notice could be given july first eighteen eighty five for that season the fishing privileges were extended but with the next year the whole dispute revived the canadian authorities insisted on restricting american fishermen rigidly to the letter of treaty privileges as canada interpreted them american fishing vessels were not only barred from fishing within the three-mile limit but were forbidden to enter a canadian port to ship cargoes or for any other purpose save for shelter wood water or repairs several american boats were seized and condemned and canadian fishery cruisers patrolled the coasts incessantly active a storm of genuine if not informed indignation broke out in the united states the action of the canadian authorities was denounced as unneighborly and their insistence on the letter of ancient treaties as pettifogging and with more justice it was declared that the canadian government used the fishing privileges as a lever or rather a club to force the opening of the united states markets to all canadian products president cleveland sought a friendly solution by the appointment of a joint commission congress more bellicose passed unanimously eighteen eighty seven a retaliatory act empowering the president if satisfied that american vessels were illegally or vexatiously harassed or restricted to close the ports and waters of the united states against the vessels and products of any part of british north america the president declined to fire this blunderbuss and arranged for the commission on which joseph chamberlain sir lionel sackville west and sir charles tupper were the british representatives the draft treaty which the commission framed failed to pass the united states senate but a modus vivendi was arranged permitting american vessels port privileges upon payment of a license fee this together with more considerate conduct on both sides eased the tension 
once congress had taken the drastic step of threatening complete non-intercourse with canada a reaction set in and many americans began to consider whether some more pacific and thoroughgoing solution could not be found two were suggested political union and commercial union the political union of the two democracies of the continent has always found advocates in the united states many believed it was manifest destiny that some day the stars and stripes should float from panama to the pole at times canadians here and there had echoed this belief it seemed to them better to be annexed at one stroke than to be annexed piecemeal by exodus at the rate of fifty or a hundred thousand canadians a year in st john and halifax in montreal and toronto and on the detroit border a few voices now called for this remedy which promised to give commercial prosperity and political security instead of commercial depression and sectional racial and religious strife yet they remained voices crying in the wilderness as in eighteen forty nine when men of high rank in the conservative party notably three who are known in history as colleagues of sir john macdonald and one of them as prime minister of canada had joined with quebec rouge in prescribing the same remedy for canada's ills so now in the late eighties the deep instinct of the overwhelming mass of the people revolted from a step which meant renouncing the memories of the past and the hopes of the future imperial and national sentiment both fought against it it was in vain that goldwin smith gave his life to the cause preaching the example of the union between scotland and england it was in vain that british statesmen had shown themselves not averse to the idea in eighteen sixty nine when senator sumner proposed the cession of canada in settlement of the alabama claims and hamilton fish the american secretary of state declared to the british ambassador that our claims were too large to be settled pecuniarily and sounded him about canada the ambassador had replied that england did not wish to keep canada but could not part with it without the consent of the population wanted or not the people of canada had determined to stay in the empire and did stay until different councils reigned in london even in cold-blooded and objective logic canada's refusal to merge her destinies with the republic could be justified as best for the world in that it made possible in north america two experiments in democracy possible too the transformation of the british empire into the most remarkable and hopeful of political combinations but it was not such reasoned logic that prompted canadians they were moved by deeper instincts prejudices passions hopes loyalties and in face of their practically solid opposition the solution of the canadian question had to be sought elsewhere than in political union with the united states commercial union or at salferein between canada and the united states involved absolute free trade between the two countries common excise rates a common customs tariff on the seaboard and the pooling and dividing according to population of the revenue this was not a new proposal 
it had been suggested time and again in both countries from its advocacy by ira gould of montreal in eighteen fifty two down to its advocacy by wharton barker of philadelphia a strong opponent of reciprocity in eighteen eighty six but now for the first time the conjuncture of political and economic conditions on both sides of the line ensured it serious attention and for the first time in erastus wyman one of the many canadians who had won fortune in the united states the movement found an enthusiastic and unflagging leader in eighteen eighty seven congressman butterworth introduced a bill providing for free entrance of all canadian products into the united states whenever canada permitted the free entrance of all american products and received a notable measure of support in ontario under the leadership of erastus wyman and goldwin smith and valencia fuller the latter a leading stock breeder the movement won remarkably quick and widespread recognition in a few months it had been endorsed by over forty farmers institutes and rejected by only three much of this success was due to the powerful and persistent advocacy of leading toronto and montreal newspapers needless to say the movement met with instant and vigorous opposition from the majority of the manufacturers and from the canadian pacific railway the movement had begun entirely outside the ordinary party lines but its strength soon compelled the party leaders to take a stand for or against it neither party endorsed it though both went far towards it the conservatives had long been in favor of a measure of free trade with the united states the national policy had been adopted partly in the hope that reciprocity in tariffs would compel the united states to assent to reciprocity in trade and many who like goldwin smith had voted for protection in eighteen seventy eight now called upon the government to follow its own logic but commercial union with its discrimination against great britain and its joint tariffs made at washington did not appeal to sir john macdonald and his following they were however prepared to go far more than half the time of the fisheries commission of eighteen eighty seven which sat for three months was spent on tariff matters and sir charles tupper made the most thoroughgoing offer of free trade with the united states ever made by any canadian government an unrestricted offer of reciprocity congress however would not consent to discuss trade under pressure of fishery threats and no terms were made the liberal party was equally uncertain as to its policy it was much more strongly in favor of freer trade than its opponents and being in opposition would be more likely to take up a policy opposed to the status quo sir richard cartwright in october eighteen eighty seven came out clearly in favor of commercial union what of the new leader of the party mr laurier's first public address after his election to the leadership was given at somerset quebec in august eighteen eighty seven after reviewing the deplorable discontent which pervaded the dominion due mainly to the government's policy he referred to the trade issue the restriction policy practiced for a decade had led to a reaction he declared which has not stopped within moderate bounds on the contrary it has gone to extremes and at this very hour the great majority of the farmers of ontario are clamoring for commercial union with the united states 
for my part i am not ready to declare that commercial union is an acceptable idea the root of the commercial union movement he continued was the desire for reciprocity with the united states in some form and to that policy the liberal party had always been and still remained favorable in the following session the liberal party made clear its position on the question it definitely rejected by a large majority the proposal for commercial union adopting a suggestion of mr j d edgar it advocated reopening negotiations with washington to secure full and unrestricted reciprocity of trade under this policy if carried to its full extent all the products of each country would enter the other free but each would continue in control of its own tariff and the custom-houses along the border would also remain sir richard cartwright opened the debate with a vivid summary of the backward and distracted condition of canada and of the commercial advantages of free access to the large wealthy and convenient market to the south he concluded with a strong appeal to canada to act as a link between great britain and the united states and thus secure for the mother country the ally she needed in her dangerous isolation mr laurier followed some days later he emphasized the need of wider markets of a population of consumers that would permit large-scaled industry to develop and contended that any manufacturing industries which deserved to survive would thrive in the larger field the same terms could not be offered england for england had not a tariff in which to make reciprocal reductions canada would not always be a colony what she wanted however was not political independence but commercial independence the opponents of the proposal had appealed to the country's fears he appealed to its courage and exhorted all to press onward till the goal should be reached in parliament the discussion led to little result the government took its stand against unrestricted reciprocity on the ground that it would kill infant manufacturing industries and lead to political absorption in the republic and the division followed party lines meanwhile in the country interest slackened for the time in the presidential campaign of eighteen eighty eight the republicans by a narrow margin won on a high tariff platform so that reciprocity seemed out of the question in canada itself a new issue had arisen once more race and religion set quebec and ontario in fierce antagonism end of section nine looking to washington part one